And we're looking at themes. We're looking at broad themes. So we're covering pretty large chunks of text. We're not going through this verse by verse. If we did, uh, you would probably die in this class. Um, it's 40 chapters, and, and uh, there's value in that, but I've decided to kind of uh, shorten it and look at the, the broad themes that we see in the book of Exodus. What we see is that Exodus is, in fact, a narrative. It's a telling of a story, and it shows how God keeps his promises to and provides for his chosen people. He keeps his promises to and provides for his chosen people. And in the New Testament context in which we're living right now as Christ followers, um, there is tremendous information for us to be able to learn and glean and base our life on. So just as a quick recap of where we've been leading up to this point in Exodus 7 through 10, we see that God made a covenant with Abraham in the book of Genesis. He said, I will make of you a great nation and by you, Abraham, from your offspring, I will um, uh, produce many, many people as the, the sand of the sea and the stars in the sky. And from you, I will bless all the families of the earth. Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had 12 sons who moved to Egypt. And those 12 sons formed the 12 tribes of Israel and became the great nation while they were in the nation of Egypt. They fled to Egypt because there was a great famine in the land, and Egypt had food. Right? They didn't know where to go, but they heard, Egypt has food, so let's go there. And lo and behold, one of the 12 sons, Joseph, was there in Egypt because his brothers uh, sought to kill them and decided to sell him into slavery. And maybe you've heard that story growing up, but uh, Joseph was a, a Hebrew and rose in the ranks with great favor with Pharaoh for many different reasons, but we won't get into, became the second uh, in charge of all the land and uh, interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh that said, you're going to have famine, so store up goods for yourself right now. And so they did, and they made a tremendous profit from it. And we'll get into that later. And, it, and it's the foundation for what made Egypt the great nation that it became. At the beginning of the book of Exodus, we see that the children of Israel grew. It says they grew into 650,000 men. Most people think that's 2 million people. So big that the nation of Egypt was scared of them. If we're attacked from the outside, we don't want an enemy from the inside as well. And it said that there arose a pharaoh in Egypt who did not know Joseph. So he forgot the heritage that got him to that very place. And they began opp oppressing the Israelites greatly, put them under great slavery, ruthless, made them, um, made them slaves, and then began killing their babies to uh, control their birth rate. We see in Exodus chapter 1 the themes that God raises and levels kingdoms. We see that God raises up the nation of Israel, and he levels the nation of Egypt. We see that God's judgment of, of evil will come, but it will come in God's timing. This is just a brief overview. Um, that God hears the cries of his people, that he provides for his people, and that he keeps the promises that he makes to his people. And we saw that Israel was given a shadow of the coming Messiah. So we've been talking a lot about types in the book of Exodus. A type is a foreshadowing or a template or a veiled image of something greater to be fulfilled. We see the image of Christ coming, and we, we've looked at a lot of those different um, themes that we see. Also in Exodus 4, 5, and 6, we see um, the hard heart of Pharaoh and how that's a, a warning to all of us. We see that God is a, is a God that keeps his covenants, and um, we unpacked a lot of those. So right now what we're going to look at is the plagues, all right? So Moses has been raised as a prophet. He has heard from God through the burning bush. He has been sent to speak both to Israel, and he has been 
sent to speak to Pharaoh as well. And there are ten plagues that God, through, through Moses, will put on the nation of Egypt. And we're going to read right now the first nine. All right, so this morning we're just going to look at the first nine plagues. Next week we're going to look at the tenth plague because um, it's a bigger, kind of a bigger deal and it connects the Passover and there's a lot that I want to look at. So I think it's important to actually read uh, the Word of God. So we're just going to read 7, 8, 9, and 10. So it's four chapters, um, but there's a lot of action because it's the plagues, okay? And so uh, I'm reading in the ESV, and even if you don't have the ESV, I would encourage you to follow along. I think that looking at it and hearing it at the same time um, aids in your uh, ability to understand. So we're going to we're going to read through this so that we have kind of the 30,000-foot view, the overview of what's going on here, and the nine plagues that are cast on the nation of Egypt. And then we're going to go through and look at two themes that we see. Okay? So again, stay with me. I I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for, you know, the big chunk of reading, but it's, it is a lot of content. But um, if it were an action movie, it would be a pretty well-attended action movie. Okay? Here we go. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet, and you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and, 80, and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand in the banks of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, their, ca their canals, and their ponds, and their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and they shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of the servants he lifted up his staff, struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood, and the fish in the Nile died. The Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. 
There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them. So the Lord had said, Pharaoh turned and went into his house. And he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all of your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. The, the frogs shall come up on you and your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up onto the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the water of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your house and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord your God, like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your house and your servants and your people, and they shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs and he had, as he had agreed with, with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and in the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats in the land of Egypt. Yuck. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand and his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians and Pharaoh, then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me, or else... If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this shall happen. And the Lord did so. They came, there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. And Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings that we sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. 
If we sacrifice offerings abominable to, abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far. Plead with me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of the flies may, be may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people, tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and he did not let the people go. Chapter 9, the fifth plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the people, excuse me, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. <clears throat> For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, the flocks. And the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Chapter 9, verse 8. And the Lord said to Pharaoh and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over the land of Egypt, and become boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So, that, so they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you have been cut off from the earth, but, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause, every, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. <clears throat> now therefore send, get your livestock, uh, that all that they have in the field and a safer shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven so that they, 
so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down from the earth, and the Lord ran hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continuously in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail such as has never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to him, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord that there may be, that there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord, and the thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again, hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land. They shall eat what is left, what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. They shall fill your houses, in the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your father nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came on the earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. And he said to him, The Lord be with you. If ever I let you go and your little ones go, look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Pharaoh, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, for the locusts, so that they came upon the land of Egypt and, and eat every plant in the land, all that, ha, all that the hail has left. Verse 13. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over the land of Egypt and settled in the whole country of Egypt, 
Such a dense swarm of locusts as has never been seen before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land, so the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant nor field, through all the land of Egypt. Then Herod hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin. Please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven. There may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us go. Sacrifice, uh, let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them uh, to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know what we, will, what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to them, Get away from me. Take care to see Take care never to see my face again, for on the day that you see my face again, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Let me just pause there for a second. <laughs> Thanks for uh, listening to the, the nine plagues. It's a lot of text, and I think it's important for us to hear uh, the scope and the depth. And sometimes when we hear things back to back to back like that, we get a little bit bigger picture of what all is going on. So, we have the plagues. The Nile has been turned to blood. Frogs has come from the, from the Nile and has filled the land. The gnats, as pests, flies that devoured the land, it said. The livestock died. Boils formed on man uh, and woman and animal. Great hail and, and, and fire, it says, rained down. The locust ate what was left. And then darkness took over the land. I've heard some people speculate that darkness may have uh, potentially been one of the most devastating, actually, in a land that required you to, to burn resources, um, to have 24 hours and 24 hours and 24 hours of darkness could take up what little resources you had, even for light or cooking. Um, but we're not going to go through each of these and kind of unpack each of them. We're going to look at the broad themes that we see here. And as I was studying this text, the question that can, there are a couple questions that continue to rise in my mind as I was pondering what the Lord was saying through this text. And it's important for us to always ask questions of the text. And one of the, one of the questions is simply, why the plagues? Why was this the means by which God determined to show himself? Why, why the plagues? God can do 
an infinite number of things and an infinite number of ways. But why did God do it this way, and why was it recorded for us? Because God has worked infinitely throughout the course of mankind. And there, I, there have been many great signs and wonders of God that are not recorded for us in Scripture. But this was the way that God chose to work in the country, in the land of Egypt, for his children, the Israelites. And this was the way that God chose for it to be recorded for us to see and to learn from. So the why, I believe, is the utmost importance as we look at this text and what are the themes and what can we learn from it today. And what I want to propose is that there are two reasons why the Lord used plagues. Two reasons why the Lord used plagues. Number one, to answer the question, why the plagues? The judgment of sin. To judge sin. Look at chapter 7, verse 4. All right, These are a couple of proof texts. Chapter 7, uh, from what we just read, verse 4 says, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and I will bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. This is important, all right, because this is a pinpoint right here. This is why I'm doing it. I will do this to the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment, not great acts of angst, not great acts of acts. Uh, I told you so, not great acts of just because I can, but as a judgment, as a judgment, push forward beyond where we read, Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, Exodus 12, 12 says, I will pass, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn, which is the tenth plague in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I will execute my judgment. There are a couple other examples of this, but these are the primary proof texts that we see. Why is he doing this? To, for of great acts of judgment, and I will execute my judgment. Now, judgments are important because they only happen because the law has been broken. All right, this isn't just a frivolous God is God, and the Egyptians are not, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just show myself to you. I mean, that's, that's an element, but there are broken laws here, and they are justified. James chapter 4, verse 12 says that there's one lawgiver and one judge. There's one judge, and he has a law, and that judge is allowed to pass judgment. Revelation 19.2 says that his, meaning God's, judgments are true and that they are just. So they are always appropriate. They always fit the punishment fits the crime. So what are some of the sins that we see in the land of Egypt? All right, let me run through some of the things that we see in the great sins of Pharaoh and in the great sins of Egypt. I'm just going to fly through some of these things. Exodus chapter 1 says that there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. If you ask yourself the question, what does it mean to know Joseph, you begin to see when you go back and read the backstory that Joseph made it clear that he was speaking for God, that, he, that Joseph was not the one who was interpreting these dreams, but it was God that was giving him the interpretation of the dreams for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, okay, well, then where can I find a great man of God? So Pharaoh, even early Pharaoh with Joseph 400 years prior, acknowledged this God of the Hebrews, and he elevated Joseph to a great position. So the God of the Hebrews was known to the Egyptians. The God of the Hebrews was known to the Egyptians. Continuing on in Exodus chapter 1, it says that this Pharaoh that did not know the God of Joseph or Joseph 
did not pay attention to him. Uh, he set taskmasters over the Hebrews to afflict them with many heavy burdens. The way that the Egyptians treated their fellow man, they ruthlessly, verse 13 and 14, made the people work as slaves, made their lives bitter with hard service, and all their work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. In verse 16, Pharaoh commanded Hebrew midwives to kill baby boys as they were born, but they refused. So the Pharaoh sent out an edict to his people. This is, if you're an Egyptian, this isn't just to the soldiers or to the stormtroopers. If you are an Egyptian and you see a baby boy, you can take it and you can kill it. You're allowed. And people did it. And then Pharaoh, before Moses, was defiant before the Lord. And when Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who is he? I don't know him. And moreover, what does he have to do with me? So not only do I not know him, not only am I God over the God of the Hebrews, Pharaoh essentially was saying, but I will take the burden, the ruthless burden that I have put on the Egyptians, and I'm going to crank it up. It says that very day he doubled their workload, and but, but demanded the same by their taskmasters in the face of God. So at the mere acknowledgement by Moses of a greater God, Pharaoh said, not so, let me prove it to you. All right, defiance in the face of God. So these are great sins. These are great sins that deserve judgment by God. <clears throat> he forgot the God of Joseph. He inflicted ruthless burdens and afflictions on their fellow man. Life meant no nothing to them by the killing of the innocents, and they rejected God completely. Now, again, there's, there's a lot of conversation and a lot of disagreement and a lot of questions about what's the whole deal with God hardening the heart of Pharaoh here. <clears throat> And a lot of people have too simplistic of an answer, and they say simply, technically, we've all, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, we're all due our own punishment, but, but there are many examples in Scripture that we're going to briefly look at here for a second, where God essentially says, enough, enough. There are Scriptures all throughout the Bible that speak of storing up wrath for yourself, there are scriptures that speak all through the Bible that say that your sin is not yet complete, which means God, by his mercy, by the doctrine of common grace, withholds his immediate judgment upon all of us and allows you to continue so that, so that you can repent, is, is, is what it is. Um, common, grace, common grace, by definition, as defined by Wayne Grudem, says that common grace is the grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not a part of salvation. Common grace is something that is given by God to people who are not necessarily believers. He gives good things, blessings to them, but is not connected or associated with their salvation. And the moral connection to all of this is that common grace restrains people from being as evil as they possibly could be. Though continued persistent hard hearts can lead to God, quote, giving them up to greater and greater sins that we see through the book of Romans, for example. You tracking with me? All right, common grace allows us to not just fall into the deepest depths of depravity, but sin left unaddressed always gets worse. And that all humans have an issue of a hardened heart. And Pharaoh had a consistent issue of a hardened heart, not just because God said, I'm going to click the dial over to hard 
on your heart, but because he had generational hardening of hearts where he had a total disregard for all of God's ways and all of God's plans. In the book of Romans, it says that God's ways are written on all of our hearts, all right? That you can go from, from people group to people group to people group, culture to culture to culture, and it would be widely understood and widely agreed with that just taking a baby and killing it is wrong. You could be an atheist or a Muslim or a Christian and believe that sna snatching a baby out of mother's hands and throwing it in the water face down so it drowns is just despicable and wrong. And the Egyptians knew it. It was written on their hearts, and they denied it. They denied it. All right? That's just one of many sins here. And so what we see here is that there are points in the course of history where God says enough is enough. We see it in the flood, that the sins of the world grew and grew and grew until God said, enough. I'm going to cast my global judgment on the whole world because of their sin, because it is due them, because they broke my laws. And so he wiped out the entire face of, 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 of the world in one act, which we know of as the flood, and he saved the remnant. That's what he did. We see that as, as one monumental event where God said, enough, I've let sin continue, and I've let sin continue by my mercy, and I am known, and you have opportunity, and you can turn to me, but it can get to a point where God says on this earth, enough is enough. The flood happened. The Tower of Babel, mankind came together and said, you know what? We can be God. We can reach God with our bricks and with our mortar. With our, with our engineering, with our intelligence. And God said, no, no, you can't. My judgment will fall on you. All right, it ended there. It ended there. We see Sodom and Gomorrah, cities that were just living in greater and greater le uh, levels of, of depravity and sin. And they knew it. Their consciences spoke to them. And at one point, God said, enough and he literally rained down fire, and they were judged. It was God's right, just judgment on those cities. And God let it continue by his purposes. We don't have, we don't have sets of time of, of God allows three generations before he judges. And we don't know that either because, you know, God judged Adam and Eve in the garden pretty quickly too. We, we don't know. Ananias and Sapphira. Judged immediately. God's wrath came on them in that moment in the New Testament. That God allows sin to continue for an unknown amount of time by his mercy, but occasionally allows cataclysmic, cataclysmic judgment events to happen to show himself. And it's right, and it is good, and it is justified. We cannot claim common grace and say, but God, you let them, so you should let us fill in the blank. That's not how it works. It's not how the law is written. That is not what we get to say to God at the judgment seat of Christ one day. We see that we see the, this is an example of the plagues, that there is a single cataclysmic event in the giving of these plagues that devastated the nation of Egypt. Just utterly, I mean, this is beyond famine, and this is in just a matter of a of maybe a couple of weeks. It was quick. I mean, it was, it was a livestock dead, resources gone, crops eaten, boils, sickness, death. 
The crossing of the Red Sea, their military is destroyed along with Pharaoh. I mean, utter destruction of the land in people, in resources, in crops, in economy, just done, just torn up and wrung out, and God's judgment was placed on them justly and rightly. The question is often asked by us and throughout the scriptures, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the wicked prosper? And the answer to that question that we see in scripture is they don't. They do for a season, but they don't in the end. That God's judgment will always come in God's timing that we don't always understand. So if we're living in a generation that's in, in slavery like the Egyptians in those 400 years, you might look around and say, where is God? But God has provided in his written word evidences where judgment comes on this earth and in the, in the world to come, ultimately. Hebrews chapter 10 is a quote from the Old Testament, but it says that we know him who said, meaning we know this God who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's from God. Vengeance is mine and I will repay. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. They broke God's laws. They broke God's laws with great depths of depravity. Generationally, over and over and over, and there came a point in time when God showed himself, cast right and righteous and just judgment on the nation of Egypt for their sins. We've been talking a lot about types. A type is a literary feature which is a proof or a template or a veiled or shadowy image, an incomplete version of something that is greater to come. So we've talked about uh, Moses himself being a, a type of Christ. You know, Moses is the one that was sent by God to lead God's people, um, and they followed him to salvation from their enemies. You know, so that's, Moses was not Christ, but he's a veiled, imperfect version, an example that God has provided to say, look, there's this, I'm putting together puzzle pieces, but you don't see the whole picture yet, but you can still trust my promises. And I will continue to give you proofs. I will continue to show you my promises. I will continue to prove myself faithful. But remember the promises. Look at the proofs. Remember the promises. And I will be trustworthy. And one of the things that I believe that we see here in the book of, of Exodus is that we see a type of the coming final judgment. Is what we see. Now, we're not going to get into the book of Revelation right now, but what we see in the book of Revelation is that there is an utter and complete destruction of the earth, which is God's judgments being poured out on sin. Of all the, the bowls and the seals, and I mean, regardless of how you look at the symbolism, what you see at the end of the day is a total destruction that requires a new heaven and a new earth. A total destruction. And that's what we see here. On, on a smaller, incomplete, veiled, shadowy scale, that God's judgment is sure. So if you're, if you're walking and you're living and you look around and you see debauchery and you see sin and you see people flipping about God's name and God's word and God's laws, which are written on all of our hearts, which we see in the workplace and we see in the nation and we see on the streets and we see in the news, God's judgment is going to come. 
God's judgment is going to come. We don't know when we're not in control of when we're not supposed to know when. But what we are supposed to know is the promises that God says, vengeance is mine and I will repay. So, so both be warned if you're sinning, but be encouraged if you're mine. And make sure that you keep a short list and you address your sin, that you approach sin, the sins of your brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can be clear be, be, between each other and be, before our God. Because, because sin will not go unpunished. And we forget that because we, for whatever reason, we can look at these, we can look at these events that are in the scriptures, in the holy canon, and we can see God say, I am doing this as judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah is judgment. Ananias and Sapphira is judgment. The snakes in the wilderness with the children of Israel is judgment. And the plagues on Egypt is judgment. But we, we, we can't interpret the times right now. We can look at some crazy events. Say, is, is America being judged right now? Well, we don't have scripture to tell us that. But we do know that there are consequences for sin. And we know that there are consequences for sin in your life. We know that there are consequences for sin in our nation. And we see people. You have friends. Maybe you've experienced this yourself. Consequences that you wish didn't happen because of sin left unaddressed in your life. And people who fall into deeper and deeper levels of that sin or go to darker and darker places and find themselves one day saying, how did I get here? That's what this is. Sin left unaddressed always gets worse. And what we see here is that this is a, this is a, a clear yet incomplete version of what's going to happen at the final judgment on this earth, on the earth. And then there's a spiritual judgment, too, of greater magnitude of death and hell and the lake of fire. So it, it, this is, it's a warning for those who are sinning, but it's an encouragement that says, vengeance is mine, my children. I will repay when you look through the scriptures and, and you see the verses that talk about why do the wicked prosper and, and, and those who are righteous are, are, are suffer, suffering and in persecution, that is not the whole story. And we can't look at today to interpret the whole story because there are promises that were given and there are fulfillments that are coming, and we're in the middle. And what faithfulness looks like is, re, is remembering the promises as we look for, forward to the fulfillment. So the reason for the plagues, number one, is God's judgment. He makes it clear. He says it, he says it here, and we see it as a type of the final judgment to come. The second reason for the plagues, this is astoundingly clear in these scriptures. The second reason for the plagues is a proclamation from God when he says, I am the Lord. Over and over and over, a proclamation, I am the Lord. The plagues are a bullhorn of God saying, I am God and you are not. My ways are higher than your ways. I'm going to fly through this. Chapter 7, verse 4, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. 717, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. 810, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like our God. The magicians acknowledge to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. 822, on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen to show you that I am the God of this people, and I am putting judgment on this people. 916, for this purpose, 
I have raised you up to show my power to be proclaimed in all the earth, but you are still exalting yourself. I am God, but you are still claiming that you are. In the, in the plague of hail, it says, whoever feared the Lord did what he said, but those who did not fear the Lord died. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Um, it says that, uh, And the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell it in the hearing of your sons and your grandsons that I have dealt harshly, which is not inappropriate, harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs that I have done, so that you may know that I am the Lord. You refuse to humble yourself before me. I will execute judgment because I am the Lord. In chapter 12, it says, This day shall be a memorial for you, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statue forever. You shall keep it. Remember in, in, from which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord has brought you from this place. You shall tell your sons on that day. It is because of what the Lord did for me that I came out of Egypt. I am the Lord. This is something that the Lord is saying to his people and to the enemies of his people. I am the Lord. God is using the plagues as a massive point of remembrance. Because this is not typically how God works. This is an exception. God has allowed exceptions. He's not disallowed them. One time I heard John Piper in a sermon talk about how we are not called to live based on the exceptions of God. And a lot of times, even if we don't verbalize this, we think if God would only show himself to me, then I would do A, B, and C. If God would make it more clear to me, or maybe there's an unbeliever who would say, I would be believing God, but I just need more, more evidence. I just need more proof. And that's a hardened heart. We see that example specifically throughout the course of Scripture. The Pharisees, I mean, we've, we've, I've shared this in the class and shared it in the sermon a couple weeks ago. The Pharisees said, but God, Jesus, why don't you just show us a sign? But he had healed the blind. He had healed the leper. He had fed the 5,000. He had raised people from the dead. What else is left? What, what kind of signs do you need? Your heart is hardened, and there's nothing that I, as the Son of God, can do to make you see. It's all out there, and your heart is hardened. So it doesn't matter what you see anymore. Because you have made the decision. So God doesn't, if, 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 this was, if this was God's modus operandi, then he would, let, he would leave Jesus Christ here infinitely. You know, not to come for 33 years and then to go back to earth. But he would just continually stay here and keep feeding the 5,000 and keep raising people from the dead. And like, hey, can you believe that there's this guy who's been here for 2,000 years and he's still doing these things? And everybody would believe, right? No. Faith is something that God has created. Faith is not something that God borrowed. Faith is something that God orchestrated and designed and said that I will do these things and that I am defining and structuring and quantifying and qualifying faith. And what it means is you're going to take something from the past and you're going to put your faith in it. And you're going to believe it because faith is the evidence of things unseen. 
things that you have put your hope in that you can't see with your eyes. That's what faith is. That is from God, it is defined by God, and it is, and it is what makes a soul saved. It is, the, it is the thing that God looks for in somebody to say, are they, is he or she my child or not? Do they have faith in me? Which means faith demands something that has come before that you can't see. And so we haven't actually looked into the eyes of Jesus Christ. And we haven't actually seen the plagues fall on our enemies before. But we are to look at them as great acts and believe that they happened as proofs and evidences that God will keep the promises that have yet to be fulfilled. Over and over and over throughout this book, and I read uh, throughout the book of Exodus, and I've read a couple of these verses, it calls for these things to be remembered generationally, that you are to speak them to your sons, assuming that your sons haven't seen them, and you're, speak them, you're to speak these things that you have seen in this cataclysmic event of the plagues and the freedom of slavery. You are to take these monumental things and speak them to your son and to your son's son so that they will be remembered. And by remembering, they will have faith in something that they did not experience. And when faith enters the heart, God enlightens and turns on the eyes in the way that only God can to see things in a new light. And that person becomes regenerated. Faith is something that you are the means by which faith is spread. Faith is not a standalone thing that is just floating out there. And we all have options to just kind of pick it and choose and say, "I, I want that. But faith comes to you. That is the way God works. By and large. God could pour out his wrath on America in a moment if he's so determined, but God primarily works through the spreading of faith through, the, the, through life and the word and the gospel spoken. That, that your faith came to you by somebody. It came to you from a, a, a beating heart, somebody who had skin on their bones. Your faith, if you're a believer, came to you from somebody. Who heard it from somebody? Who heard it from somebody? And, and God's record book could trace it back to this all the way. Now, there are stories of some people who say, hey, I uh, found a Bible and read it for myself and you know, came to faith. And, and God, God works that way. But predominantly, he works by faith being spread from person to person, friend to friend, family member to family member, friend to enemy. That's how it works. That's how God works. And so he said, take these events that are huge, and I'm setting it up as a pillar of remembrance to say, I am God, and you are to take these things and spread them from from generation to generation to generation. And that's why you can have somebody who did not experience the plagues but have a fervent, strong faith in that same God. And so you can have that faith in that same God, and you can spread that faith to others in that same God. And that God is the one who uses your words to show him his words to open up somebody's heart and eyes to the eternal truth of the gospel that they are a sinner in need of a savior. You are the means by which faith is spread. Your faith was brought to you by somebody else. Not just a vague faith in a God, but this 
God right here is the God you believe in. So my challenge that I see in this book, in, in, this, in this text of why the plagues, because it, it is a judgment. It is God's right and righteous judgment that we see periodically throughout the course of Scripture of God specifically saying, enough is enough, I will pour myself out and judge these people. But it also is an example of common grace that we are not all poured out God's wrath upon all the time. But that doesn't mean that he isn't a God of justice and that vengeance is not his. That all sin will be accounted for. And that God is proclaiming, I am the Lord. You are to remember me. I keep my promises. You need to see that I am God. You are not, and I am the one that is doing all of this. There's no work of the, of the Israelites that's being done here. <laughs> it's all God. It's all God. It's all God. And the Israelites later we see kind of basically turn into the Egyptians by turning on God and making a golden calf and refusing to believe what God had said, even though they had literally seen the plagues themselves. So that we are to speak our faith to each other, that you are to speak the gospel to your friends, that you are to speak, to, you are to speak the gospel to your believing friends, to your believing family, and to your unbelieving friends and co-workers, and that by your words, the word of God, can speak in ways that you can't. That faith travels through the spoken word. And it's something that, that God said, I'm doing these things so that you could share me, your sons, your grandsons, and generationally. And that we see these things so that we can share them, not just to our physical children, but to those people that we share space with. And we can trust that God will do what he said he will do, and his word will not return void. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your, for your word. And Father, as we read something like this that is ancient and in, in this historical slice, we see massive devastation. But Father, in the context of your word, in the Old and in the New Testament, we see faithfulness. That you are faithful to judge and that you are faithful to keep your word. Father, I ask that you would help us as we seek to speak our faith, that we would be convinced of these things and let your word speak through us. In Jesus' name, amen.